Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. To the mouth of manliness with me, Nick Noise. Um, and we've got a guest today, Kirsty Eaton from Reach Out for Mental Health. Um, we, you, you kind of got in touch with us quite a long time ago about coming on, didn't you? And trying to yeah. something out. And then, um, uh, yeah, uh, we had like a massive long waiting list of people. And obviously, the lockdowns happened, which kind of closed that in. But now, like, I've done like 20 odd um, podcasts now in the last couple of months. I've gone a bit bonkers. Wow. Um, so, welcome. Thank you for coming. Finally, we for having people. me. Yeah, I'm so pleased to have you on. I really am. Thank you. But, um, so, tell us what uh, Reach Out for Mental Health is first, please. Okay. So Reach Out for Mental Health is a suicide prevention service, um, which I set up um, originally back in 2016, after a colleague of mine took his own life. Um, it didn't, obviously it took ages to get off the ground, didn't know what I was doing. My, my background is in uh, like social care, social housing, um, you know, never run a company in my life, um, didn't really know what I was doing. So it took a little while to finally get off the ground. And then we launched in October 2018. And yeah, here we are. So we've been running for about 18 months. Um, and we basically, uh, basically, after sort of working within social care for so long, you kind of get to see all of the gaps in services and all of the pitfalls and, you know, your clients, your caseload that you're desperately trying to support that is just completely abandoned and dropped and fallen through the cracks. So I was always really frustrated working within the sector. Um, and yeah, after, after my colleague killed himself, it was, it just, it just absolutely made me spiral really, really did. Um, and I think within about a six month period, another four men who I knew kind of directly and indirectly also took their own lives. No way. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was like a it was like a like a pandemic, you know, not to not to kind of um, or anything, but um, 
And then I started to get really paranoid, like men that I'd meet, not men that I'd meet, that sounds a bit wrong, men that I'd see in the streets or if I was at a pub and there was a guy on his own, you know, looking quite melancholy, I'd immediately think, oh my God, he's thinking about killing himself, should I go and say hello to him, what should I do? Um, yeah, it just, it, it made me go a little bit crazy, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, so it was, um, I just wanted to create a safe, completely non-clinical no bollocks environment for anybody it wasn't specifically for men and it, it still isn't but you know my colleagues passing is still very much like the driving force behind it yeah. um and everything that, that we do and everything that we don't do is based around men so everything that we do from the colors that we choose to, for you know for the for the um you know for the logo and everything um to the wording that we use in our publicity materials everything is worked around men we get feedback from men um like for argument's sake one of our first leaflets that went out talked about you know are you feeling suicidal um, and the feedback that we got was that men would never use a service that had suicide written on the title you know they just they'd absolutely give it like a wide berth so we, we took suicide out of the leaflets and out of everything i don't think it's on facebook i don't think it's on our web page really i think maybe a couple of references to it um but yeah we, we didn't want it to be you know a scary non-accessible service it was literally something quite relaxed where you can speak to somebody if you're going through a hard time and you don't want to tell your family you don't want to tell your loved ones what you're going through um which obviously seems to be the case most of the time yeah um so yeah so basically so we um we've got a, like an army of about eight volunteers a little small crew and um if you call up you'll speak to myself um or you can get referred by many different organizations we'll have a quick chat it's not an assessment it is literally just a chat just to see where you're at and just to manage the expectations of the service because we're not we're not um we're not counselors we're not therapists we're all trained volunteers but 90 percent of us have either gone through our own mental health difficulty or have supported somebody else um so yeah you know peer support is always always the best thing i think anyway um so then after we've had a chat, making sure that, you know, we know that the service is going to benefit you and it's not going to obviously cause you any more harm. You know, if, if obviously you're needing some proper psychotherapy or something, then obviously, you know, that's not something that we would that we would take on. Um, and then I refer you to one of our volunteers and then we support you for about eight weeks with your named volunteer. You'll have a named person that you will then make an agreement with about how often um you speak to each other. I mean, again, obviously before lockdown, we used to see people in the community. We used to do people, we used to see people in their own homes if they couldn't access the community for any reason. Um, but of course, everything's just, um, it's just remote now. Hopefully that's going to be changing in the next few weeks. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's emotional support. It's a befriending service. It's a listening service. Oh, yeah, it's sure. very much the model. It's like, uh, I, I used to do befriending for mind like years and years. Yeah. And, um, like it's kind of similar really no no but yeah. i suppose it wasn't really emotional support but it was just kind of like even if it's just taking someone out you know, yeah like, yeah like the confidence and that kind of thing and you help bolster them up a bit mm. 
So uh, where do you run it then? What area is it? It's, it's like I'm in Grace, Essex, so I think. Yeah, so we, we, we cover all of Thurrock. We used to have, um, we used to see people in Clarence Road, in Grays, um, in the South Lockington Library and in the Perfleet Library. That's where we used to see people, but obviously now it's a bit, a bit different. I suppose in some ways though, by being, uh, using um, the technology, like I, I've kind of noticed that, you know, by using the technology, it can actually, you know, people can basically see you in their own homes and that can be quite good if someone's really like not feeling like going out, they might be out for a chat though. Mm. And, and it's a bit more interaction than a phone call. Than just a phone call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it, Everything that we've done, I mean, when we started out with the service, it, you know, we never did home visits or anything. Um, so it's kind of grown and evolved according to the needs of the community. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true. You know, there's no yeah, point in me creating a service that isn't fit for purpose and that isn't required. Um, so, yeah, you know, some people don't even want to speak to us. We just support them uh, on an email or via text um you know again some people were just happy speaking to somebody over the phone and having that kind of anonymity yeah. um and some people um yeah so you know when, when we went into lockdown and we explained that we could only help people remotely you know some people have completely kind of shut down and said no I, you know i need to see someone face to face so you know it's um it's just yeah it's a shame isn't it? it's a shame because like actually you probably need it the most now you know, mm. you can't, you, you can't like force people into taking out, can you? You know, it just doesn't really work that way. So is it like full time then? Is this what you do now? Yeah. Yeah, very lucky. I secured some funding. Um, well, I, I secured some funding through a very, very, very generous, marvellous, wonderful man who will remain remain anonymous as per his request. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a cracking guy. He's a proper philanthropist and yeah he likes to support all, all manner of charities and he, he, he threw us some money to get started um, so yeah so that I used to work for Family Mosaic um, and I was doing both for about six months and you know getting it up and running was the hardest thing absolutely the hardest thing um, and then when we launched and we were starting to see people you know, referrals were really low, you know, thin on the ground. We just, nobody really knew where we were. Um, I just thought, you know, as soon as we do a Facebook page, everyone's going to be charging. There'll be queues at the door. You're offering like a free service and you think yeah. you'll be jumping on it. But like, even if, if you've done like, the, like I've done this through work, you do the rounds of going around like social care and things and you're like, we're offering a free service and everyone's like, oh, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, we've needed this. And then they just don't, put, they just don't do it. No, it's no. Like, Why? <laughs> but they don't. No, it is. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Um, but yeah, we, um, we actually secured um, three years worth of funding um, from the National Lottery for me to continue with the project. So That's amazing. Yeah, and that happened literally before lockdown. We could not have been more fortunate because obviously everyone's um, kind of criteria and remit when they offer grants is, is changed dramatically. You know, if you're not specifically working towards COVID, or, you know, obviously um, the, the, the factors um, 
around COVID-19, then generally speaking, you're not going to get a grant. So we were so super lucky with that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's so lucky. Three years is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, like I do um, bits of like an ambassador for my black dog. And um, in some ways, it's, it's a little bit similar to that, but possibly a bit more hands on. Yeah, I was I was looking up my black dog. Um, yeah, no, fantastic service. Definitely, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, we're a member of the National Suicide Prevention Alliance and I'd recommend that they become a member as well. Um, I mean, you, obviously everyone gets together. You're all singing from the same hymn sheet. You're all sharing resources and ideas. Um, and you're, you've all got one ultimate aim that you're all, you know, working towards. Um, and it's it's lovely to be a part of, 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 of such a wide membership that share the same kind of philosophy that you do because it's, it sounds really shit, <laughs> but you know, back in the days when you used to have house parties or you'd go to the pub and people do, you know, oh, what do you do? And you know, I'd kind of mutter under my breath like, oh yeah, I work in suicide prevention, you know, just don't want to bring the, don't want to bring the vibe down. Yeah. But then, you know, as soon as I find out anybody generally that works within social care or social housing or mental health, I can literally talk, you know, chew their ear off for about two hours talking about it. It's it's something that I'm. This isn't again. It's so cheesy. This isn't a job. This is, this is just yeah. what I have to do. You know, it's like a, yeah, so so passionate about it. So again, having a bunch of people who are equally as passionate about it, um, where, you know, you're not feeling overly aware that you're talking about suicide and oh god you know is this going to be a bit of a sticky subject and oh god you know it's a bit a bit macabre um yeah no it's it's fantastic and they've been particularly helpful helpful during this whole um covid it's strange uh, how um people they, they don't like talking about suicide it's like uh, it uh, it always i mean the suicidal thoughts and feelings have been with me since i was a kid and for me, it's just so normal. Like, I'll happily talk about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in some ways, it kind of needs to be normalised a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But yet, the problem is it still needs to carry weight. So it's really, okay. really, it's this real difficult balance because, yeah, you want people to be able to talk about it, but it still needs to be serious, you know. Um yeah, I find it quite a strange one. But, um, yeah, if I, like, you know, I don't really, it's not like I walk around saying, yeah, I feel suicidal. But once I started saying it, um, I started feeling a lot better. Uh, but, yeah, it's difficult. It's a really, really difficult one. So you took that off of everything, and did that make a big difference? How do you mean, sorry? You said to, you had... Um, like the word suicide on your on your oh yeah 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 um no not 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 particularly but it, again it was more more a case of you know we know that the word isn't on there and you know for, for the most part I mean now looking back in hindsight as I say that was probably about a year ago and I, I wouldn't ever put something as provocative as that um on our um marketing materials or anything because you know, as working, I mean, I've been working in this industry now for about four years, and um, just knowing how difficult it is to engage guys, um, 
and being really careful about, as I say, the language that you use, like even mental health. I, I don't really like using the term mental health because I think if you've lost your job and your wife has moved out because of it and she's taken the kids and then you're looking at being evicted, I don't blame you for feeling suicidal. I don't think you've got a mental health problem. I think you've had some really fucking bad luck. Mm. And do you know what I mean? It's, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think you raise a really good point, really, is that um, the term mental health is like, I've worked in probation and whenever you mention mental health to someone, they're like, what, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, how, how do you say it? Like I normally follow it with, you do know I've got a mental health problem, right? And then, then people talk. But, um, it, the, yeah, how do you say it? It's like emotional health. And then that also sounds, for men, it's like, what, you're calling me gay? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well-being and, yeah, it's all a bit fluffy, isn't it? Yeah, so it's so hard to get it right. And I, I think, essentially, like you can't really get it right. Uh, no. you can do is, is try, you know? So I think the fact that you go out and try, like, that's the important bit, isn't it? Because you yeah, know, totally. the language right for everyone. It's, no, it's absolutely. Awesome. Because yeah. it, always, it always sounds weak. And men invariably don't want to don't come across as weak. Um, and it's only when they're, like, really desperate that they'll do something. Um, mm. And I guess the point is trying to get in there before they're at desperation. Which is really difficult. So do you get a lot of referrals? So how does it, like, do you have a lot of numbers? Well, ideally, um, we wanted to, like, I think it's about 75% of people that um, complete suicide aren't known to services. So, you know, they're not under the community mental health team or that, you know, um, they've got a social worker or anything. Yeah. Um, so, so it means that you can't rely on a referral from an external agency. You need that person to contact you and you know reach out for help yeah. um so that's that's kind of what we've always been aiming for you know getting those self-referrals because although it's wonderful that we're getting referrals from outside organizations statistically those aren't the ones that are most at risk yeah so it's still everyone else that's out there that's not coming into us that they're still most at risk um and i mean I don't know anything about um, search engine optimization or anything like that, but um, I know that, you know, if, if you were to search, uh, you know, if you were to Google painless suicide, um, you know, best ways to die, most effective ways to die, all these kind of things, um, immediately Samaritans will come up and yeah. God only knows how much they pay Google for that, but obviously they're, they're the first one that comes up. It's probably a charitable thing. I'm hoping so. Yeah. Um, but there was another organization that I used to volunteer for for me to kind of learn my craft as it were and that's Maytree which is a suicide respite center in Finsbury Park very happy to give them a little plug here because they are just absolutely phenomenal um so they offer a free stay you can stay there for four nights five days um it's a beautiful big Victorian house in in Finsbury Park it's run completely by volunteers you've got two or three volunteers on shift at any time for three hours they'll come off shift and then you get another two or three volunteers come in so I think I think forgive me if my maths is wrong but I think during a five-day stay you could speak to up to about 70 different people and that kind of 
conversation and the quality of that kind of therapeutic input it's it's unlike anything else in the world i don't think you know they're very much like a standalone thing um and they don't i don't think there's anywhere else that offers anything like it um what so but, you just go there like if everything's just got too much um and you're thinking right i've lucky enough i've had enough you can just go there and take like a step out of life for four days um what a good idea yeah so yeah i mean it's a bit more so hypothetically speaking mm. as i say with them you google these things and Maytree generally come up on the first page so they're not like a first hit but they tend to come up on the first page because on their website they've got all of these keywords and key phrases and it's all been done very very cleverly so that you know they, they do come up in the searches and then um you would have uh, a few conversations with them it depends on how dire the situation is um and very much depends on the individual circumstances but generally generally speaking from the first point of contact and i know that they've changed the way that they do their admissions since like, since i left but generally you could be offered like um a stay within about two to three weeks um you know there's there's no waiting list or anything um but yeah so you, you get to you get to stay there obviously you know it's completely free you get your your food and um yeah and as, as i say about 70 different people to speak to from all different experiences all different walks of life all different approaches um because like, the emergency emergency services or the emergency the way that mental health emergencies are dealt with um are normally pretty shit aren't they like you go to a and e um and you get sectioned briefly uh that, if you're lucky yeah if you're lucky yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then you get let out with normally very little follow-up um mm -hmm. it took me years and years and years to get a proper service really to get like proper you know psychiatric input and everything you know and that was like well that was only a few years ago and that was after like 30 years 34 years of despair uh so it's really difficult to get it um that's that's why like stuff like you're doing so important because yeah. um for starters if someone's really desperate like You've got someone there to help you, and they're just to chat with. It's yeah. like first, first port of call, and then like basically you can support them then to go where they need to go, potentially because like that's the hardest bit. It's a fucking nightmare. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you said, so do you mind if I take you back to the start then? So you said that um, one of your colleagues at work uh, had committed suicide. Mm -hmm. and then that was kind of what prompted you into doing it so were you working in that kind of field at the time yeah i've got to be careful what i say purely because um some people in the family um don't know about it it's, it's a little bit a little bit tricky so careful as you need to be i'm just kind of just like trying to get a bit of an understanding about things yeah yeah no he did so we were both support workers we both um supported people in the community with various issues so it was um like tenancy sustainment basically it's, um so that like, i've worked you know kind of still where i don't really mention where i work either but like, i kind of work in similar fields as well um and um like that kind of job, it's basically like a key work job. 
and my wife does as well and uh, it's funny like we were having a conversation yesterday and she's like done everything I can for someone um yet they still won't like go and get help you know like mm. literally handing it to them and there's then they won't take it and um like and I was kind of saying that yeah that's the job you know like that is 90 percent of the job it, yeah like, you'll get the occasional person who's like really, really get something out of your help and they really get somewhere. But like a lot of the job is that, yeah. you know, and it's really soul destroying. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think like people don't realize that those, these kind of jobs are pretty tough. Yeah. Like that. Um, they, and you get to see often some of like people in dire situations and it's really depressing, man. It, like, it can really bring you down and it makes you feel like things aren't worth it quite often. Mm. Why, like when you said it, that's why I was interested because um, I, I don't think people get credit for it. Is that, is that no, I think, like you say, there's, there's, there's certain occupations that are high risk um, and I think that's more, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I, w- I was going to say, I think it's more down to access to means and that kind of thing. So you've got farmers, you know, they're massively high risk doctors, dentists. Um, and I think it's more because they know what, to, I don't know. No, I'm not going to No, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, something that this job has taught me is that like you know, when when you're you know if you're feeling suicidal or you're bereaved by suicide, you think you're part of this kind of secret group, um, and that you know I don't know like you know no one could possibly know what you're going through. Like you're the only one that's ever done it. You're you're the only person that's been through it. And then as soon as it as soon as you start talking about it, or someone like I say, you know, they say, oh, what do you do? And then they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, actually, my, my, my neighbour killed himself a few years ago. Or, yeah, actually, last year I was, I was on the top of the QB2 bridge. I was about to throw myself off. It's like, it's everyone. It's yeah, like, yeah, everyone. Yeah, if you haven't yeah. done it, you're going to know someone that has. You know, it's just... Totally, totally true. The minute you kind of, you're open about it. Uh, yeah, and funnily enough, like, yeah, like, I, I know for, for me, like, when you're walking around in that suicidal state, you kind of... Um, yeah, you feel like uh, you feel like it's extreme, mm. and the extremity of it pushes you into a different place to everyone else. You know, like you, yeah, you, you don't think other people feel that way, um, but it, you don't really care either, like because you're just kind of just like in this <laughs> fucking weird place. But it feels extreme, so it makes you feel very, very separate and different and almost like like you're up here in the mm. mistakes. You're really high up and you're extra mental. You I, don't, I don't want to do an Eddie Temple Morris on you, but um, can you tell me a bit about your experience? And um, like, like you say, you found it difficult to get support and to, to get diagnosed or to get uh, recognised or taken seriously. Yeah, I, I only really, like I, um, I started kind of getting... I would say like the main, I started having, um, seeing a psychiatrist when I was, I don't know, 11. And, um, it was an awful experience. Uh, and that was kind of backed up by my dad kind of having the ump, I was having it. Um, so it, it kind of, it put me off quite heavily. 
Uh, and then, then maybe when I was about, uh, I'd say 15, 16, I started seeing another psychiatrist. And, and that was a similar kind of situation where I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel like uh, I was validated at all. You know, like I didn't feel like they were um, taking me seriously. Uh, so a lot of what I was going through was very much in my head. Although I used to tell my mum from time to time, but I didn't tell her the extent of what was going on in my head because it would scare her. Uh, and then, um, uh, and then I suppose that kind of jumps. Yeah, then I went to university and then I just kind of backed out of it all. I just threw myself into booze and drugs and that worked pretty well for a long time. Uh, but yeah, it don't work. But you know you know what I mean? It, you can use it as a coping mechanism. And then, um, yeah, then I had kids and I went really, really downhill. And then I started, then I went to the doctors and since then, so what, nearly 13 years I've been on varying different fucking um, medications. Um, and I was seeing, I was I had therapy with mind. Um, that was meant to be six weeks, but like it went on for well over a year. And then, um, and then he, that therapist was like, we're not really get, like we're getting somewhere, but we're not really dealing with it. And I think actually you might be a bit beyond me um, because I just kept having medication. I'd get to the point when I'm at the maximum dose, then I'd change medication. Doctors just going, well, I can't give you anything else, mate. Just going to put up with it kind of thing. Doctors mm. and arsehole. And then, uh, and then because that guy at mine, Chris, who's fucking brilliant, he then wrote a letter to my doctor saying, I need to see a psychiatrist. Uh, I then took the letter to the doctor. The doctor went, well, they're not going to be able to do anything that I can't do. <laughs> I was like, I don't care, mate. Like, I'm fucking dying here. Uh, and, yeah, I was in such, like, I was really, like, I just, I weren't going to carry on. Um, and then, uh, so then he, um, I just, I just had enough. I really started, like, putting my foot down and kicking off a bit. And then, uh, yeah, I went to see a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist um, changed my medication straight away, put me on two different meds, that, um, and stopped me, said I can't go to work because changing meds is going to make me ill. Um, and I was mentally really fucking ill at the time. Uh, what, in that transitional period? Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah, whilst I was coming off of one meds onto these other meds on mm. a much higher dose, um, but I was really not well, you know, mentally I was really not well. Uh, I was having visions of killing people and things like that and killing myself and it was just, I wasn't well. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so then they go in the meds. Um, they got me quite quickly into psychotherapy, which was really, really difficult and then really, really amazing. And then on top of that, uh, I started paying to see a hypnotherapist as well, who then turned out to be a bit of a... He's been on a podcast, Peter. He turned out to be a bit of a, a, a mix. He does everything. And he was amazing. Like Most of the things that he said to me, I still repeat to myself and I still tell other people. Now, 
Uh, so I went for about two years of like that. I'm still having psychotherapy now. So I'm nearly like two and a half years into that. Um, With the same therapist? Yeah, it, 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 start, it was on a group. Um, and the group, it, it's really kind of hit and miss. But I was so desperate to be better that I threw myself into it. And because of lockdown, um, it's, I've been having it one-to-one. Because it's, it's budget, so they're like, well, we'll put you on a group. And at the time, I was like, I'll take whatever. Um, but because of lockdown, I've been having it one-to-one, and it's been brilliant. I've just had all these revelations recently just for having one-to-one psychotherapists. It's been fucking amazing. Um, but, you know, it's like, that's kind of a whistle-stop tour. So I did get offered intervention at times. Um, and... Then had bad experiences that really put me off, um, and then and then within that, I, I certainly had times when I was resistant because I was like, "What are they going to tell me? You know, what can they possibly tell me um, that's going to make me think life's worth living? Like it's impossible. Like if now if I think about it rationally, I'm like, I was right. I still think I was right. You know, like in many ways, I don't." Uh, I'll have a dark day and I'm like, I still think it's true. Everything that's going from my head, really. I was just blowing it up a bit. Um, that's why I'm always shocked that, um, I think I don't imagine everyone has suicidal periods because I mean, they don't, but like, I find it hard to believe that they don't because it just seems so normal to me because I wasn't, I could be quite rational about it. Um, and I don't see it as being necessarily that irrational response to life. Because uh, I've never really taken any joy in life. Um, so for me, there was very, very little like tipping the scales in... Um, Favour of hanging around. Yeah, yeah, very, very little. And then having children, if anything, made it so much worse because then it's like fucking everything's hard work as well. Can I I just congratulate you there and give you a virtual hug and a fucking great big handshake for having the honesty and the balls to say that? Uh, Ah, people go like, what? What you mean about kids? Yeah, and making things, making your situation more difficult. And um, mm. yeah, I never had that magic moment. Like, I think I might have had a little bit more. Like, like I think I've had a few since I've been a lot better. Like moments when I'm like, oh man, they're fucking the bollocks, you know, but um, yeah, whenever you talk to anyone, like, they won't admit that like, they might go, oh, it's hard, oh, it's hard with no babies, and like, that might be all they'll say, <laughs> but if you're like contending with, like, the fucking serious mental health issue and then, um, and then you throw all this grief in because, like, children are fundamental, you know, they're great and all, but, like, it's fucking hard work. And I, you're like, oh shit, what about, you know, and depression, mental health problems, so insular. And it, they're, like, they're so selfish, you know, like in the nicest possible way, it's incredibly selfish because it's all about you and it's all about, and you, you're very in your head. Yeah. And you throw in all these dependents and you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, and then guilt and frustration and all of that. It's mm. really, really difficult. And, uh, yeah, and I just, I, I don't like it when everyone's just like, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Isn't it just the most beautiful thing? Like, I can't, I never thought I could love as much as this. 
what? Yeah, you're like, well, maybe once a year. <laughs> but, you know, like, actually, it's really, really deep, especially, like, the first 10 years. I remember some... I'm, going, I'm only up to four. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> what, what if you, how many kids you got? Just one. One, and that's it. Not doing it again. Well, I said that, uh, and, like, it was a really difficult birth, and, like, I knew, I thought, um, firstly, I thought I'd lost them both, like, my wife and my daughter. And then really? they were rushed into uh, a theatre and they wouldn't let me in. Uh, and then, like, half an hour, 45 minutes later, they gave me my daughter. And I was like, is my wife all right? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can't say yet. I was like, what? Uh, and they wouldn't tell me. Uh, and then I'm holding my daughter thinking, oh, is that it then? Is this, is this, is this us? And I, I was just in such a state. And, um, and then 45 minutes later, my wife came out and she was fine. Um, and I just, you know, like, like mental health problems seem to stem from trauma. And then you go, and this is what happened with me, like I would go through life and I'd have another fucking trauma. And then I have a kid, trauma. Speak to everyone else, and they're like, I was crying my eyes out, it was beautiful. Suddenly, I had purpose. And I'm like, I was crying my eyes out because I thought I'd lost my wife. I remember, like, my <laughs> friends, like, insisting that night, oh, I've got wet, the baby's in. And I was like, I really need to go home and be on my own. And then I got home, and they're all standing on my doorstep thinking they're being lovely. And then I just sat there and recounted the town. And then I was just like looking at the floor. Oh. And I was like, that was the most horrible day of my life. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and then because you met, because I've got a mental health problem, it was like, um, oh yeah, of course I deserve that, you know, like I deserve it. And then you know, more shit happens. But yeah, uh, so after that, I was like, I'm never having another kid. Uh, and then my wife just felt so strongly about it that she didn't want a single child. And and then I started asking around and talking to see people who were like only children. Uh, I think I went asking around for someone who's willing to father. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Are you willing? <laughs> <laughs> Were you shy about my wife? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I spoke to people who were like only children. Um, and essentially, like, a, it, I, a lot of them are like, I'm really worried about when my parents get old and I'll build my own. And my parents are only children. And uh, and then I kind of saw it, but kind of when their parents died and that, and they felt really alone and that. And I was close to my sister and I still am. And it was like, oh, it kind of swayed me. But the minute um, Jude was born, I got the snip. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was it. I'm risking it. There's no <laughs> way. Not that I'm fucking like, always having it off or anything, but I'm not risking it. So yeah. So, so what, what, what's the age gap? How long did you leave it? Um, three years, pretty much. Like pretty spot on, really. Um, yeah, three years. But you know, like uh, yeah. So then, yeah. Now, and my my son's got autism, and then it's like, of course he's got autism. You know, my brain's like, of course he's got autism. Like he's got autism because you're you're a piece of shit, mate. You know, and then you're like, oh, he's got it from me because, and then. Because I'm fucking weird, you know, like I'm, like, I'm not straight, I'm, you know, I have quirks coming out of my arse, you know. <laughs> uh, 
man. Uh, that's the problem. Like, uh, like people don't kind of see that with mental health. Is that it, um, anything bad happens, it totally just goes, oh yeah, yeah. Like you deserve yeah. that, mate. Like yeah, everything you do is like, yeah, of course, of course, because that's all you deserve. And it's, yeah. um, but I have to say, I am like, you know, I am a lot, lot, lot better. I have bad days. Um, but I used to have bad five years. You know, mm. like, it's not bad 10 years. So, uh, yeah, it's funny thinking back because um, like, I can only really name a few periods that weren't really bad. Yeah, it's quite sad, isn't it? But I feel like, uh, I do honestly feel like a lot of it's behind me. So since doing the Mouth of Manliness, has this been a real kind of cathartic process yeah. obviously when when brad walked you were still like no this is still very much something that i want to do and yeah uh i think like it it kind of helps me keep well in many ways yeah because uh, it means like i get to talk about mental health and it helps me kind of normalize myself quite a bit uh it's quite nice talking to other people because then um Basically, people come on here and like more often not talking about their own mental health problems. So um, that makes me, it validates me a bit. It makes me feel like um, I'm not so mental because that's what other yeah. people do. And uh, it gives me purpose and, it, and it's rewarding. So it kind of sorts all that shit out. But I still have bad days, you know. Yeah. It happens. So how about you? Have you had mental health? Like, because you kind of alluded to straight for the jugular, didn't he? No messing around. Yeah, no, <laughs> you alluded to earlier um, that you'd struggled after, like, with your friends, and um, so you alluded to having that things had happened. But... Yeah, I mean, I've so um, I, I take anti-anxiety medication now, um, and that was that was since after the birth of my daughter. Wow. Um, yeah, massive postnatal depression. Um, but it wasn't so much, um, wow, this is actually, uh, never actually told anybody like this before. Why not tell everyone that's going to listen to this podcast? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't so much, um, postnatal depression that everyone else who I knew was experiencing it in so much as, um, not wanting to go outside, you know, fear that something's going to happen to the baby. Um, you know, just just not wanting to re-engage in life and very much kind of stay at home and not wanting to go out. I was completely the opposite. You know, people say that, you know, when, when you hold your child in your arms, it can completely change you. I was still wanting to go out every weekend and have a drink and have a dance and still pretend like I'm 22. Um, wanted to go back to work, wanted to still maintain me, not yeah. Kirsty mummy, Kirsty, whoever you know, whoever I was. Um, and that was awful. You know, it, it took me a long while to bond with, with Nancy. Um, and that was, that, that's a really lonely place and still is. And it was only, I think it was her first birthday. Um, yeah, it was really, really bad coming up to her first birthday. And I was Googling about sort of mothers that realized that they didn't want to be parents or you know that that kind of thing and then it was only you know thank god for google that i realized that there's actually a small army of us out there who don't have like you've said like this you know this kind of crystallizing moment where it's like you know ah, 
when the heavens yeah. open and you know your life changes it wasn't it, it felt like an interruption you know um you kind of you get resentful don't you because it's yeah like, well this really sucks and like i can't do any of the things i like doing and like that's what i mean you know like of course why wouldn't you feel like that you mm. know like, it makes total sense of course you feel like that because it's like everything that you felt was you has suddenly been taken away from you and you've been given this fucking massive responsibility as well. Yeah. It's like, that's hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I just didn't find motherhood particularly fulfilling. I found it excruciatingly dull. Um, you know, still, I, I've got, I think I've got a touch of sort of um, ADHD. I'm like a, cat on a hot tin roof most of the time um can't sit still or do nothing for too long um mind's always wearing away wanting to do something and having to sort of sing the same nursery rhymes sort of 10 times a day and play peekaboo and you know just all that kind of thing just drove me absolutely round the bend how did you deal with the pregnancy period loved it loved it loved it loved it brilliant because again i i never really wanted kids i i had nancy when i was just yeah just 30 she was born just before my 31st birthday um and i was the like the last person of my friendship group to have kids you know everybody figured that i was either a lesbian or barren and um so yeah left it left it quite late kind of you know compared to the rest of my friends didn't really want kids and then um yeah just had a few had a few incidences in my life um <laughs> most notably failed my degree um was training to be an occupational therapist and, and failed my degree um and sort of while i was making an application to go to university i think i was yeah i was 28 at the time and it was like right okay this is kind of the time when you're looking at having a family where is it going to leave us? And we kind of had a plan that, you know, I was going to, going to graduate and then go on a, a rotational um, placement and then possibly look at, you know, settling down and having a family. Um, but yeah, when, when, when I failed my degree, it was like, right, okay, fuck it. Let's have a kid. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was like that. Um, so yeah, in hindsight, I don't think I was ready. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. Uh, but then I don't know. I mean, is anybody when you have kids do you ever really go you know you, you again you hear about these people that have got this absolute yearning to be a parent and i just cannot relate to that yeah i think um i think my my wife kind of really did really want to have children and like we um so yeah we kind of got married when we were like 30 i just i just done my degree at that point uh, and the plan was, yeah, I'd done that, right, we'll get married then. And then, like, a year later, we'll have a kid. And uh, like, I was very much on the lead-up to, you will have a kid, very much like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, my experiences with children generally were like, oh, I fucking, like, this looks fucking awful. And, um, and yeah, I mean, like, I felt like that. I still feel like that a lot. You know, mm. I do, um, I, but I've got a lot better with it. Uh, but 
but it just makes you feel like a, such a wanker, doesn't it? Like, I, I can really relate to what you're saying. The guilt like, is, is unrelentless. It's just... But then I always figure, well, look, I'm doing, like, you know, if they're alive uh, and they seem pretty happy. You know, like, uh, and I, I, I can't do everything for gritted teeth. I know I do. And uh, I feel bad about that. But then I also kind of acknowledge that, yeah, we're not all made the same, are we? Mm. Some of us just aren't. We're just not those kind of people, you know. And I, I just kind of accept that in myself now. And I, I just and I just figure, I, as long as I'm making an effort, then I'm better than my dad. You know, <laughs> making yeah. an effort counts for a hell of a lot. Definitely. And, um, and I, yeah, I just kind of roll with it like that. Oh, so you kind of, so, so were you really invested in your degree? Like, yeah. Like properly? Oh my God, I still remember it vividly when I got told that I got a placement. I remember exactly where I was and what I was looking at when I got told. It was like I'd won the lottery. It really was. Um, I mean, it still is, you know, occupational therapy is still very much something, um, something that I'd like to do. I mean, I'm never going to, I'm never going to study it. And even if I did, I'd never qualify because of because I failed it, I think you've just got a black spot against your name and they say, oh, really? person's a fucking arsehole, don't go near her. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, before, before I got into suicide prevention, um, I really wanted to open up a care farm. Um, and I'm just going to reiterate what a care farm is because a lot of people, like my dad, <laughs> he thinks it's, oh, so you're taking all the waifs and strays. No, no, God, no, no, nothing like that. Um, it's basically... Um, it, it's, it's an environment where you use things like green therapy, ecotherapy, horticulture, animal husbandry as a form of therapy. Um, you know, it's it's so much more um, kind of talked about now and more sort of common and yeah. available than it was when I first started my degree. Um, but that's what I always wanted to do. So um, always wanted to work in mental health, you know, bit, <laughs> bit of a hippie. Um, always loved nature and being outdoors and yeah, animal mad. Um, yeah. And you know, combining the two just seemed like an absolute just no-brainer. Yeah. So I guess I'm trying to like, yeah, trying to kind of understand the weight of it. So like, as you've got, so if that had always been like a dream and a plan, and then then you kind of have that massive knockback, and then like, fuck everything. <laughs> I could, I do, yeah. you know, it, it, it adds up, doesn't it? it really essentially, really like, if you think now what you're doing, you're, you're doing kind of what you wanted to oh, do. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know when, when, this is, when this is broadcast, I don't know if this is going to be video or not, but it, it really is one of them, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, and a lot of my, my, um, my uni mates that were on, um, like, in the same cohort as me, I'm so so proud of what what I'm doing and um, really really supportive and that's um, yeah that that really goes a long way because it's yeah that was a that was a horrible year a horrible year to come back to so yeah 2014 was a real shitty year anyway um, broke my what did I break first yeah broke my broke my finger <laughs> cleaning my car <laughs> that's how thorough I am um, which meant I couldn't go on placement so I had to be held back. Um, and then I broke my foot when I was at the beer festival at Thurrock <laughs> in the Civic Hall, um, moshing to one of the bands. And um, so then couldn't do my placement and then ugh, ended up doing it over the summer and yeah, just, just failed it. 
Um, and yeah, so it was kind of on the cards. They give you a warning, like um, I think they call it not fear of failure. What do they call it? Like, you know, basically you're borderlining on failing your placement. Um, so yeah, it was, it was on the cards for a little while, but it was, yeah, I feel, um, <laughs> I feel that it was more of a case of my face didn't fit. Um, you know, as you can see, I've got ideas in my head and, you know, a, a tongue in my head and, you know, I know my place and I won't talk back and I don't, you know, I, I will do as I'm told, but I think possibly um, I didn't have a personality that was suited to working in, you know, for the NHS. Um, oh, it was with the NHS, was it? Pardon? Yeah, NHS is a bit like that. Um, mm. And, yeah, in fairness, I think, like, you could be much more maverick now than if you were in the NHS anyway. It's still the same. It's still the same case now. I mean, um, you know, again, being very careful kind of how I put this, um, there's a lot of organisations out there, statutory bodies that are very uncomfortable with what I do. And as a result of that, they can't endorse what I do and therefore getting statutory funding isn't an option because we don't do things like a questionnaire as soon as you come in and then a questionnaire at the end of, of, of the support. Um, you know, we don't have a standardised um, uh, pathway to referral. We don't have an assessment criteria. It is just, you're feeling shit, give us a ring. I'll hook you up with a volunteer. As long as you're over 18 and you're not really, really poorly um, and you're willing to engage and have a conversation, then, you know, but come on, come on in. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, chat. And that's the, that's the thing. I think once you start throwing things like uh, assessment criteria and things like that, and it all becomes really clinical. And yeah. And like that's where people get put off. So then what, so did you then, you said like um, after your daughter was born, you started having anxiety then? Mm. So did you have, have you ever, have you, did you have anxiety before any time? Yeah, but I didn't know it was anxiety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. Like I think I have. I think I've had anxiety, not like anxiety, like panic attacks. But no, this is it. I mean, again, working in social care, I support people with anxiety. You know, that, that is one of the things that I do. You know, anxiety, pretty much half of anyone that I've ever worked with or has been on my caseload has had anxiety. And, you know, their presentation compared to mine were entirely different. So when, um, it was when I started therapy through inclusion and I did my telephone assessment through them and they said, you know, so how long have you had anxiety? And I was like, do I? I'm just a worrier. I just, I just worry about stuff. You know, I'm just, just find it hard to kind of shut down and, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've had, like, I've had moments like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that really surprised you, but it's funny. Have you, then did you go, ah, Right, I yeah. do that, I do that, and I do that, and I never yeah. thought it. Yeah. yeah, so then I did I did my therapy through inclusion. I did my, um, yeah, my talking therapy through them. Absolutely brilliant. But I think it kind of opened Pandora's box. Yeah. Um, and it sort of scratched the surface at some other things that I think I need to address. Um, so at the end of that, they said, um, you know, we can put you onto this online portal called uh, Silver Cloud. And it's like a CBT-based model um, 
where you know you, you're not going to have a regular therapist to talk to but they'll give you a review once every three or four weeks and you can have a chat with them and talk about your progress and the concerns that you've got um and I was always a little bit how would you say um just wary of CBT because it, it really is like a hit and miss some people absolutely swear by it and say that it's changed their lives other people think that it was just a complete waste of time I think it's, it's got to be done at the right time. You know, I think CBT is applicable to so many different people and so many different conditions and, you know, scenarios, but you've got to be ready for it. There's no point saying, right, here's some homework. You're going to be thinking about this. Yeah. Let's, have a, let's have a poke and start, you know, looking at something that you're not entirely happy with looking at. Um, but yeah, did my CBT on Silver Cloud and it was absolutely fantastic. It taught me so many different techniques and, um, ways to identify when I am starting to go down the wormhole, you know. Um, and I'd say, you know, even in just the, the, the 12 weeks that I was doing it, I think I've, I've already, you know, really improved in my own kind of anxiety management. I think the thing is, like, um, I think people think they'll, they, they're told, right, we can do CBT and then you're going to be better. Mm. And... Like that, that, like that just doesn't like. I mean, that works for some people, but you know, if you've got proper mental health problem, that's not really going to do it. But I think you still have to be really open minded, don't you? Because there's going to be like, you know, one day, like nothing, none of it will make it. It will just seem like bullshit, and then the next day there'll be that little bit, and you'll go, "I'm, I'm carrying that one around with me," and I can mm-hmm. use that. Um, but it also can seem a bit patronising because it's so fucking obvious and straightforward. Yeah. But like all all the best stuff is, you know, like you have to yeah. really let down your guard and go, oh, right, yeah, I'm going to listen properly now. Yeah. Because all the best stuff's really, really fucking obvious. And you're like... It is. You know, it is. And in hindsight, I think, you know, some of the stuff that I was reading about, I think, God, I've, I've been telling clients this for years. And it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's right there in front of you and when you're living and breathing it, it becomes your norm and you would never think of questioning it as being anything but normal and your everyday. And like I thought, this is just how everyone else thinks and everyone else gets frustrated and ruminates constantly about the stupidest stuff. Um, yeah, and it turns out they don't. No, no, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, no wonder I've been fucking struggling. <laughs> like, no, I'm exhausted all the fucking time. I just can't, can't shut off, you know. That's why I say, you know, like you talk about trauma, you know, like when you experience like your friend's suicide and then like a lot of other people committed suicide, mm. like, that's all trauma. Mm. And, like, and even like, I th- like, that's the thing I think, I think for, Surely having a baby is quite traumatic. You know, like, I, I don't think that's really particularly acknowledged. That yeah. For a woman having a baby, that's... I know, like, endorphins are released and everything, and that makes you kind of forget about how bad it was. But that's just trauma, you know? Yeah. It, it, it takes a bit to bounce back. Yeah. But I remember, excuse me, a friend of mine... Um, I think it was when we were trying because again it took us about a year to have Nancy um, and I was talking to a friend about because one of the main reasons why I didn't want to have kids was that I was properly properly phobic about childbirth 
And I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to go to Gray's Convent and I was walking home one day with my friend and I said, by the time I have kids, there's got to be another way of doing it. You know, they've got to have thought of another way of doing it or there'll be like a tool or, you know, some kind of weird thing that goes on. Um, so, yeah, really, really phobic about childbirth. Um, and so when, you know, when I decided obviously that, that we were going to have a kid and when I fell pregnant, you know, I'd watch, you know, one born every minute constantly. Anyone that I knew that had had a child, I'd want to know about it. Um, and yeah, one of my friends said that the, the, the birth, you know, it is, it's, it, you're, it's fucking hard and it's very, very painful. Um, but she said, you know, this is the hard part. You know, labor isn't the hard part. It's, this is the hard part. Um, and I absolutely categorically 100% agree. Oh, that's quite an honest friend. Mm. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Gotta, you've, got, you've got to have it. Yeah. Like, yeah, as you say, like, uh, that is an honest friend because a lot of the time they don't fucking say that. Uh, and I was amazed by how quickly my wife seemed to get over it because I, I fucking didn't. <laughs> like, I still don't know if I have. You know, like... Uh, and then every day you're kind of reminded of it when you wake up. But it's, um, yeah, it's really, really difficult. So it, so did you, so before that, before you being told, oh, you've got anxiety, did you have any problems when you were younger? No, no, not that I, <laughs> um, not that I think. Um, I, I mean, when I, <laughs> when I was a teenager, um, I think that I was, I was a bit of a handful, um, and I did a lot to excess, right. um, and I don't think that did me any yeah, good. So, uh, yeah, that might. Um, see, I did everything to excess because I was so, uh, like, I was being self-destructive. I, I've learned that every, all my excesses were because I was unhappy. Uh, it was a way of escaping my unhappiness, um, mm -hmm. but it was also a way of um, willing on death, you know, like, you know, being self-destructive. And I'm hugely self-destructive. Still am. But I still find myself being self-destructive now. Um, so sometimes it's like, it's, it's that. But then, I don't know, coming back to Eddie, it's like, he, he said to me, like, when he first met me, he was like, have you got ADHD? And I'm like, I know, most people think I'm pretty relaxed, actually. Um, but like, he was looking at my artwork and he was like, that's fucking fucked up. Like, <laughs> he's like, you're, because he says he's got it. And like, that did kind of ring true to me. Um, and then when I looked more into it, it kind of answered a lot of questions about my growing up as well. Mm. Like, never really able to concentrate on anything. Um, just like, but it's two, they say there's two types of ADHD. There's the really, really busy ones, or there's uh, like, or there's the daydreamer, and I'm a daydreamer, so I can't fucking concentrate on one thing for very long. I still can't. Uh, and I think my meds make that worse. Mm. Um, and then I, I just kind of zone out, zone out, and the fuck knows where I've gone. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've gone off on a tangent, but. <laughs> when you said ADHD, you might there might be a bit of that. There might be a trait in there. And it, like, yeah, 
I mean, so, I've got yeah. dyslexia and dyspraxia, and I think kind oh. of that goes hand in hand with that is ADHD. So, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. So that might kind of explain some of the, like, you know, if you were a bit off the wall. I thought it was cool, though, right? Mm. Like, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, all, all these these weird things tend to be the things that make you fucking cool. And it's important to be cool, as I keep telling my kids. Absolutely. Do you know what? I was going through my phone the other day, looking at pictures, trying to find something, and I found a picture um, of something of, of something that I took in um, Time Out magazine. Me and my friend went up to see a gig at uh, George in Limehouse. Can't remember. Um, and it's it was this wonderful piece of artwork. I'll take a picture of it and I'll send it to you. It was like all, like a big kind of um, collage of different photos and people and whatnot. Um, but the the sort of the wording over the top was the weirdos are taking over. <laughs> I was like, mm. yes. Thank God. You kind of find your tribe, though, don't you? You find your tribe. It's weird, though, because I always felt like I found my tribe. But, um, I have not found my tribe. I have never heard anybody use that expression before, apart from me. What, found your tribe? Yeah. Well, I think we're, that's what we, like, we, that's kind of, we do that. Like, every human does that. Uh, mm. But I think, like, I've always felt like I found, like, some, like with friends, I found like I found, the people I should be around, you know, like other freaks and weirdos. But then I also always felt like really separate because oh, I was always in my own head. I, I never felt, I never felt really comfortable anywhere. Um, so I never, it, yeah, it's a weird one. I never really totally got that. I still don't. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't even feel like. But that's why we always end up with the pink toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it helped that my mate used to, well, he still does, but it helped that, like, uh, yeah, I'm, the owner used to manage my band and my mate used to, like, DJ, still DJs there, so it helped that I didn't oh. pay for it. What <laughs> band were you in? Lilo, it was many years ago. Oh, my God, I remember seeing you guys at the Fat Surfer, I'm sure. I don't know if we played Fat Surfer. Uh, I don't know if we did. I, I was in another band, Honey Lust. And we played there. Yeah, I remember Honey Lust, yeah. And that was my kind of first band when I got chucked out of university. Or I left university, should I say. It was a mutual agreement. And then, uh, and then <laughs> I joined the band. So, yeah, I did music. But then, yeah, Charlie, the guy I owns the brush, he used to uh, like manage Lilo. And it was great. For quite a few years, I could just walk in there, like, walk through the door, free booze. Do you remember a band called Myopia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were they were my best mates. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, yeah I do. I can't really picture them, but I definitely know that name. Yeah, uh, they probably look nothing like what you remember anyway, so yeah. It's been a long time since then. Well, we kind of we've we've gone over an hour. I've I, oh I, my God. Like I, could... I didn't even talk about my NSPA thing. Oh, I'll have to come on again. I feel like we should do it again. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I, I'd do it again. Um, yeah, because we didn't talk about what you were saying before, and either. <laughs> we haven't really kind of scratched the surface, and I feel like I can, like, I feel like we haven't, haven't even scratched the surface on you. Yeah. So I think, yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, wicked. We'll give it, we'll give it like a month or two, and then we'll go again if you like. Yeah, definitely. That'd be cool with me. Yeah. If stay in touch, if I can help promote what you're doing, uh, like it'll be a while till this comes out. So, um, like, I'm happy to share everything. I stick, my, I always share my stuff on your 
you're in your group thing anyway, don't I? Um, but yeah, if I, ever I can help, I'm always happy to help. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, there was actually one thing. I mean, I'm assuming you're going to edit this bit out. Um, I don't edit anything. You don't edit anything? So why, 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 don't, why not do it live? Because... Um, like I have to record it and then put it. Like I have to master it and make it sound good. Um, oh. If you do it live, where are you gonna where are you gonna put it? Like you put it on Facebook or something, and no one's gonna sit there for an hour. But they might walk around with it in their heads for an hour. Mm. Live yeah. doesn't really work. See, when you're yeah. asking about that, I'm like, has she not listened to a podcast? <laughs> Yeah, no, I have. I have. I haven't listened to a huge amount. I must admit. Um, yeah, um, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, now, what I was going to ask, because again, it's just something that I've been thinking about for a little while before you guys were even about. Mm-hmm. Um, would you not do something like what you're doing, but it sounds really pants, but like a phone in, so you can have you know people ringing up and talking about their problems or. A mate of mine used to have a Twitch channel and he was always really kind of cavalier about his mental health problems and, you know, would talk to anybody who would listen about it. Um, and he'd have people, I mean, I think there was only about 20 people at a time, not even that, but from all over the world talking about their mental health problems. And again, it wasn't a place where people came to be fixed or anything. It was just, a, again, that just the fact that you're talking to somebody who's been through what you've been through and that kind of understood... Do you know what I mean? It's, right. it's such a, it's such a healing do, thing. Do you want to like, do a Twitch or something together? Yeah. All right, I'll look into it. I've not really looked at Twitch. I was talking to a guy, I had a guy on here the other day and he does stuff on Twitch and I've never really looked at it. I'll look into it um, and maybe do one together. So yeah. Right. Yeah, we could. I'll cool. look into it and I'll give you a shout. Lovely. I'm going to oh. have a fight now. I didn't get a chance to open before we came on. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Thanks, um, Nick. Reach out for mental health for everyone and anyone. If you're listening, um, they can look you up on all the normal things, all the socials. Yeah, so, well, Facebook and, yeah, the website. We are on Twitter, but I don't... I'm so pants with social media, it's untrue, yeah. Twitter pays off. If you put I know, it. yeah, yeah. It is worth it, and you do it for people. But um, yeah, so the website www.reachoutfmh.co.uk um, and the Facebook page, I think, is the same handle. It's like Reach Out FMH. Yeah. Lovely. All right, I'll look into Twitch and I'll give you a shout. Wicked. Amazing. Thank you, Kirsty. Take care.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.